Welcome to The Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATL, and I'm the host, Brandon Baird. You can follow me at Bairdian underscore slip. Today, we have a lot of Falcons talk, and we have a guest host, longtime contributor in Atlanta sports extraordinaire, Mike Clayton. Mike, how you doing today? I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty well, Brandon. Thank you for having me on. Good to be back to talk to the... Uh... The slippers, the slip nation, whatever you call the loyal audience. Um, good, to, good to speak with you guys. Uh, we got a lot to get into. It has been a while since you've been on the show, and I know there's a lot of Falcons talk that we're going to get into. And I think today is going to be a heavy Falcons day. Um, we're going to get into the last game against the Buccaneers, um, and it will be the return of the big list of FFs. Um, as well as a little bit of a challenge that Mike actually brought to the table. We are going to talk about the regime of Thomas Dimitrov, the fired general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, um, and where we are going to go through the best and worst of his drafts and free agent signings. Um, But first, you know we got to tell you who we're slipping on. Some off. Here is what he's slipping on. All right, Mike. I'm not sure how much you're going to agree with this, but I also think it's going to be a little bit broader. I'm slipping on Todd Gurley. Okay. You, well, you, and, from previous conversations that the loyal listeners may not know about, you know full and well that I appreciate this slippage on Todd <laughs> Gurley. You've been defending him to me for weeks now. I'm interested to I, hear your take. I have been defending him for a little bit, um, but now um, I'm definitely slipping on him. But I'm also slipping on the run game in general. Um, but I'm going to start off with why I'm slipping on Todd Gurley. Um, he has not been productive over the past four or five games that he's played in. Um, after starting the season with being a fairly productive back and a guy who was scoring touchdowns. And it wasn't just one-yard touchdowns that he was scoring. He was a dependable guy in the red zone. And I think that he is one of the reasons why recently, when we get into the red zone in goal situations, that we have not been converting those into touchdowns. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's. I, I would agree that the now the red zone issues that, that the birds have been experiencing, I, I would love to be able to say all season, but we know that it's been season after season after season. Mm-hmm. You can't all put that on him. Um, he did show some productivity uh, when he first arrived with some of those uh, goal-to-go carries and whatnot, and he was able to punch it in. But to me, I don't know how much of that was him and how much of that was... Team studying the tapes early on. You study yeah. the tapes early on and you say, well, the birds can't run it when they get down here, so watch for the pass. Mm-hmm. And when they're watching for the pass and the play action, and we did hit the run, he had some success. Then when they realize, oh, they'll run it with Todd Gurley down here, production kind of stopped. Right. Production kind of stopped once they stacked the run again. Um, Now, most of those touchdowns, I would have to disagree with you on one thing, which I think furthers the slip. We're going to slip a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't recall him breaking any long touchdown runs. All those touchdown runs in the uh, 
in the red zone, you mentioned to me, in my mind, these are two yards, four yards, three yards. Mm -hmm. The type of touchdown run where, as a running back, how how controversial can I get with my football opinions? You can get controversial with them. I love some hot takes. Running back is... it requires the least amount of talent of any NFL nope. position, by far, to my opinion. Um, now, before the loyal listeners get on me, we should—I want to add to all the to all the slippers. That's what I'm going to call them for the rest of today. I like it. I think um, that we're going to adapt that. As the, pe- <laughs> the people who subscribe, rate, and review, unsubscribe, and resubscribe, we're going to call them the slippers. All right, good, good. I'm glad to contribute. So the slippers, <laughs> just to know about me. I did play some NCAA football, so I'm not coming out of nowhere. You always get, whenever, you know, a commentator comes out, there's always that group that goes, well, you've never put on a pair of shoulder pads. I have, and let me tell you. If you're, you have to be supremely athletic to play running back. Maybe the most athletic in the NFL. But it takes the least amount of of, of football IQ. It takes the least Mm -hmm. amount of particular football skill. Because a lot of it is, here's the ball, don't get tackled. Yeah. Avoid these people. Um, and so when you're getting, and I, I bring all that up to say, in my opinion, when you're getting these one, two, three-yard touchdown runs that Todd Gurley was, that's not on him. That's them saying what you would say to a running back. Here's the ball, don't get tackled. That's your O-line. And your fullback, because usually where Keith Smith is in in those situations, it's your tight ends. It's a receiver if you got cracking back. It's a full offensive thing. So I can't even give him all the credit for a lot of those touchdowns. Yeah, I do think his longest run of the season was a 25-yard touchdown, and that happened once. Um, But I do think he was effective in some instances of greater than five yards in goal situations. But I do think that you are correct with the majority of his touchdown runs were in situations where... Uh, the lowest running back on our depth chart probably could have gotten those as well. Yeah, it, well, you know, we talked about this uh, off-air the other day about uh, Quadriolis and how <laughs> we don't know if he's good because he never gets any run. He, but when he did briefly last year for like four touches, those were all goal to go and he scored most of mm-hmm. those. So if he isn't mm-hmm. any good, which is what the regime is telling us. The regime is telling us if you're a healthy scratch every week, that's the coaching staff telling me you aren't any good, and I haven't seen anything. You know, there's no film for us to guess otherwise. Right. So it seems like even a bad, someone you're telling me is a bad running back can score in those situations. Yeah, and excuse me if I'm. this is maybe being too much of a fan, but if Quadri Olison is bad, let me see it. <laughs> because it's not like the other guys have been effective. Todd Gurley's effectiveness has gone down a whole bunch um, to where they're not even giving him the second most amount of touches at, at running back on the team. And more recently, he got his job took by Edo Smith. That That is a crazy detail to me that they took his job and gave it to Edo Smith. Not that that happened. I'm a big advocate. We may get into it later mm-hmm. on, on mm-hmm. Edo Smith. Um, so Edo Smith taking the job from Todd Gurley is not the crazy part to me. The crazy part to me is Edo Smith already took his job two weeks ago when he started getting the lion's share of the touches. Right. And then you announce it yes, in week exactly. three of that. Why, why'd you have to exactly. do Gurley like this? I'm <laughs> slipping on them publicly shaming Todd Gurley. 
I don't now. I don't blame Raheem Morris for coming out in the press conference. No one asked him any question, and him saying Edo Smith is our starting running back, catching the whole media off guard. Whole media off guard. He should be. It's the right call. It is the right call, and I do think it's a good thing that Edo Smith has been named a starter, and that I guess they will give a more of an effort to get him more touches throughout the game. But I mean, even when he got more touches throughout this game against the Bucks. The Falcons had 34 rushing yards overall. And you know who was the leading rusher? Was it not Ida? It was Matt Ryan. Was it Matt Ryan? It was Matt Ryan. Your quarterback is the leading rusher on two scrambles, I think. And everybody else. Oh, like the, the, the win run percentage was terrible. And the yards per carry were terrible. But... This is bringing up a bigger thing of why the Falcons have failed so much this season. And one of the reasons why they failed so much this season is that when they need a long, sustained drive, they can't do it. Every single scoring touchdown or every single scoring drive this past, this past week against the Buccaneers, even the one that ended in a field goal, they were all quick strikes. Strikes. It seemed that every single one had maybe four or five big passing plays that got them in situations where they can score. Mm-hmm. The running game was so ineffective that it, it's a blessing. And Matt Ryan should get credit for even being in that game and being able to be in a position where they were leading 17-0. So my question is you... To you, Mike, is what can we expect out of the running game going forward? Uh, <laughs> my answer would be what we've seen. Uh, it's not going to magically mm-hmm. get better with the same personnel, uh, the same... Uh, am I allowed to, to curse? On yes. This, with the same shit play calling <laughs> that we've seen from Cutter in yes. and out. Um, loyal listeners will be well familiar with your feelings on Cutter. <laughs> I share them. Um, I try to do my best to not talk about Cutter anymore because then it's like, okay, I'm focusing too much on yeah. one guy. What what I think we will see with Ito getting the lion's share um, is we're going to see less, and hopefully in these next two weeks, we're going to see less negative plays um, because Ito is the kind of guy, and, and let me clarify, when I say he's our best running back, I want the fans to know I don't think he's a starting running back. I think he's a very good and has the potential to be one of the best, in my opinion. And I'm high, like I said, I'm higher than him on most change of pace backup yes. running backs. And That's the role for him. He's shown um, that he can do that before. Um, a couple years ago, when Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman went down, mm-hmm. and he was the change of pace back for them um, when. Either one of those are being healthy, and he was effective scoring touchdowns, breaking tackles. He was extremely effective in those situations. He was, and and what we'll see with him as the lead dog in that backfield, like I said, I think unfortunately it's going to be the run game is going to be very similar to what we've seen, aka non-existent for the most part. Um, but one of my biggest gripes on Todd Gurley 
uh, has been, and, and it's a sad situation because Todd Gurley was shaping up, it, and on paper it looked like he was set to be one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had mm-hmm. an all-time great season. Um, his knees don't work like knees are supposed to work anymore. It sucks. The example that I gave switching yeah. sports is, uh, you know, people that call Greg Oden a bust. The draft pick was a bust, but I don't know if you can call Greg Oden a bust because he mm-hmm. was never healthy to show us what he can do. Right. It's the same with Todd Gurley. Was the Todd Gurley signing a bust? No, we didn't have to pay too much. It was worth the risk. Risk simply didn't pay off as those type of situations usually do. And my biggest qualm, though, with him has been in his mind, and I understand this because you're in that warrior mentality. You know, you have to think coming off of injuries or coming off of whatever it may be, right. you have to think that you will perform at your optimum best or you won't. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that mindset that I can do everything that I could do. But from what we've seen playing out with the birds, I'm not going to say it's an ultimate fact. It may be proved wrong. And for Todd Gurley's sake, I like Todd Gurley. I hope he proves us wrong. But from what I've seen this year, he can't. He's not mm-hmm. the Todd Gurley of old. And it's he's so it's so many times per game you see him try to bounce it outside to get past that one dude to to try to break it to the edge and whether he gets past that guy or not usually not someone else is there to catch him because he's lost that step right or he hits the hole where he's supposed to hit it um something else opens up to the side he realizes it he tries to go that direction he can't change directions he's a little off balance he gets hit and what Todd Gurley of old would break the tackle, Todd Gurley in 2020 can't break it, and he's going down. Yeah. We're going to see less of that. I think what you'll see with Ito is Ito's whole thing, and what makes a good change of pace running back uh, in the NFL in 2020 is he's he's sneaky. You know, he's one mm-hmm. of those guys that when there's no hole, he's going to find a yard because he's going to move those feet, he's going to twist his body to make that target smaller. He's going to get forward. He's going to get what he can get. Ito's not a bounce-it-outside guy. Um, When you hear change of pace a lot, you think, oh, like a fast uh, guy that will get there and get some speed. That's great to have. There are some of those. But that's not necessarily what it means. It's that shiftiness. It's that elusiveness. It's supposed to be Todd Gurley as the, the bowling ball, you know, coming in, knocking everyone down, breaking these tackles. And then you have someone like Ito Smith, you just can't catch him. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's just darting in and out. So I think the positive, once again, two games to go, the run game's not going to be a positive. I think you will see less negative plays with him. Him getting those two yards as opposed to losing seven on third and goal against our rival. I'm not bitter about that bullshit that Gurley tried to pull yeah, against the yeah, Saints yes. at all. Yes, and I was, I was just about to say... Um, to that is that when we see that he doesn't have that burst even a little bit of burst like it's actually kind of sad to see how little burst he has there's no burst um and it's actively hurting the team um to where he's not making a good decision based on what he thinks he can do that he can't do um so hopefully going forward that the falcons won't be put in worse situations and be put in longer to go situations because people are trying to bounce it out in places where they can't. But I also have to throw in a little bit of you know, the, 
I'll, I'll get into this later. The run calling okay. has to be better as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, but that that's what I'm slipping on. Definitely in the running game. And I, I wish... I'm a, I'm a big fan of the running game. I think it's a, a good way to ease the pressure off the quarterback. But what are you slipping on? So I'm I'm slipping on a lot with the way that uh, <laughs> that our teams have been going. But for uh, for this segment now, can I move from the birds? Yes, Does you it can. Have to be? Okay. If you slip on anything you want, I'm slipping on Atlanta United's front office oh, right shit. now. <laughs> Uh, and it, for one particular reason, one particular reason, and it's uh, as all of us Atlanta-based sports fans know, um, when you look at the five stripes, it's a shit year. Very bad year. Almost unbelievably so, how you could go from riding such highs to just being as terrible as the product we saw on the, fi- on the pitch. Um, and a lot of that falls on the front office. Um, they made... A lot of dumb moves. Uh, I, you know, I think we've talked earlier, and I'm not going to get into this, but the whole thing of you have Tata Martino in a very particular system, uh, particular to the South American style of play, mm-hmm. and it worked like gangbusters because we won the championship in year two. So in two years, you got to the very top with this particular model, and then you have the front office, the decision makers, strategically go. Well, we want we want to bring in the next coach from Europe. So, what you're saying by that, saying you want a European coach, is essentially, but because you stress that aspect of it, mm-hmm. to me, is you saying we want to switch up our system. What's that old saying, B? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We were coming off a championship, and you essentially said, "Well, we want to switch it up." Why? Yeah. Why it didn't work? Uh, it worked to a degree just because of the players we I had. I was about to say, just um, because of the talent that the Atlanta United had from that championship team was the reason why DeBoer looked better than he did in that first year. And when did he start to look good in that first year? After half of his damn players revolted and went public with their grievances and he had to switch up what he wanted to do. Yeah. And then so what do you do in a situation like this going into DeBoer year two? They got rid of all those cats. Vishalva gone lgp gone um you know all these people that were cornerstones nagby that's a whole different thing i won't lump him into that same category but it's all these pieces that we had used successfully Mm -hmm. it's like well we're, we're doing something different and once again the question that comes up is why what we were doing works um but but you know and we saw how the season went it didn't work you had to fire the manager when the new guy when glass came in it showed that, you know, what can you expect him to do with no talent? It didn't right. get any better. It got worse in some ways because now it's not even his players, you know, that he wants coming in. Um, and all of that is to just set the the framework for why I'm slipping on them today mm-hmm. uh, in the Christmas season of 2020. So, you know, we get past that. We've got a new manager. Once again, going back to the basics, another right. Uh, disciple of I forget the uh, the name of Tata's mentor um, in the coaching world, but also mentored Heinze coming mm-hmm. in. So you're going back to that style, of saying, "All right, we're going to get back to to what we were doing." What I'm slipping on now, B, is <laughs> you've made this decision, uh, and what is the the first the first move they make in the off season? The first move is they take 
one of the bright spots. They were only like two through the whole season. One of the bright spots who's an attacker, who plays with pace, who can play on the left, the right, center, who was our leading goal scorer, John Gallagher I'm talking about, if you, if you uh, slippers haven't caught on yet. And you trade him for nothing. For nothing. And you trade him for, for some general, for general allocation, allocation money. money. And Which, I'm like, so you, it means nothing. So one or two people stepped up, and you yeah. sold one of them right away as your first move, even before you hired <laughs> the coach. Um, we Uh-oh. should, we should also add that uh, Lady Beatrice is joining the slip today. She's, Apologize, she's, her. Uh, she's not very happy. Her, her barking. She's upset. She's equally I, I, upset. Very equally upset. We're trading Gallagher. Yeah. Now, am I saying Gallagher is going to be all world? No, but he was one of our best players on a shit team, and to make a shit team better, you got rid of one of those good players, one of those right. people that took a step forward for some general allocation money. Mm-hmm. I'm slipping on it big time, and you know I definitely feel that. And this is this seems like a move that has generally been coming, of of just like it, it. It seems every single year they trade away a piece for general allocation money, but we never see anything return. Like I think we we um, traded away Nagby for general allocation money, and maybe even some international slot money or wh- whatever they want to call it. And, and if I'm not mistaken, didn't Nagby's team go on to win the championship? They did, in fact, go on to win the championship. Now, I make Nagby a, a little bit of a different box. There's that whole thing before the start of last year where there were the rumors of how he wanted out and he wasn't there for the, for the first matches. Mm-hmm. So that might have been on Nagby saying, essentially, get me out of here. Um, but to give another example, oh, we're cash-strapped... Uh, Let's trade Julian Gressel for allocation money. It's like, okay, so you're taking another one of our best players you're, and trading him for nothing. Your franchise assist leader. Franchise assist leader for general allocation money because they, they didn't want to give him a raise because we need those dollars for Ezekiel Barco and Pity Martinez. How has that worked out, Five Stripes fans? It, it's it's just looking at Atlanta United. It was a sad existence, and I I just stopped watching games. I was not interested in watching games because it was not the product that I'd come used to watching. They brought in Heinze. I expect some changes. There better be some changes. You're listening to the slip of Brandon Bear. All right, Mike, it's time to get into the big list of fuck-ups of this past game. Um, a game where the Falcons ended up losing, um, was it 27-24? I or was it 28? I think it was 31-24. 31-24? 30, Something other. Them more than us when it shouldn't have been. All I know is that we had a 17-point lead. A 17-0 lead. And, you know, I wasn't too confident at that point. But then we had a 24-7 lead. And I was like, oh, my goodness. They're actually going to respond with the offense. But, I mean, with this list of fuck-ups that I'm about to go over, it will definitely lead to 
why the Falcons ended up losing. However, I'm also going to give them a little bit of credit as well. All right. First list. First on it is electing to receive. The reason why I started the whole game out, the, the kickoff hadn't even happened, of why I was I put that on the list, was because the past three games, when the Falcons have elected to receive, they went three and out. So I'm wondering, why on earth are you doing this again? But it ended up working out. It did. So, you know, kudos to them. Second on this is dropping deep in coverage on third and long. Another one that worked out. But, Mike, give me your thoughts about what you think about when it is a third and 18 and everybody is 18 yards off the line of scrimmage except for three people. It, so I, I have mixed feelings about this because in one way um, sort of that everyone drop and guard the line of scrimmage uh, approach that Dan Quinn instituted and it's one of the things that Raheem Morris has kept uh, I get it and I like some aspects of it because what it's intended to do is to to get essentially to get the quarterback to dump it short because that's what opened and then everyone run forward to the ball. Everyone converge and make the stop. So in principle, it works really nicely. In principle. Remember how I said at the beginning you're trying to trick the quarterback into mm-hmm. doing something? You're playing Tom Brady. You're not going to trick Tom Brady. Right. Um, and when you do that and you have no pass rush, because you're bringing three, I don't feel comfortable with us just bringing five people and getting to the quarterback. <laughs> when you're bringing three, all that is is... Now he has all day in the pocket for someone that's not going to settle for that, oh, that guy's open seven yards downfield. Let me hit him. He's going to wait because he knows that his people are going to move into the right spaces. And that's the problem that we've run into with experienced, not just this example of this week, but with experienced veteran quarterbacks. That if you're not going to have a pocket, if you're going to give the quarterback 10 seconds to throw the ball, Mm -hmm. he's going to wait until someone can find a hole... Because it's also when they drop everyone naturally because you're in this formation, you're playing zone. So right. now it just becomes a soft zone. If, it, it's, if you're going to go with that, that mantra, which once again, I don't mind, some of them, drop most of them, you got to bring some dudes. Some dudes have to come in on delayed blitzes or whatever. You got to find a way to speed that process up a little bit. Uh, and you got to man. You got to go mm-hmm. man on that outside so that they're covering them. You can have a few people as safeties at that line. But the way they do it, where they just all sit there and hold their different pieces of, uh, of the zone, it's not going to work because it gives you uh, it gives a, the opposing quarterback, essentially in football terms, unlimited time to find the right pass. So here's my problem with it. it in, one, in one situation, it was a third and 18. And because of the way they played defense, it essentially made it a third and seven where they gave the running back 10 yards and then and then the running back rather than having 15 yards to try to get that first down at that point you only had seven yards to get a first down and they they were able to make the plays because I think 
that this team has the speed and talent to make those plays and stop them. But also, you're putting your team in different situations. One time, it ended in a fourth and three. Another time, it ended in a fourth and one or one and a half. And it's so limited. And over time, what offensive coordinators have been doing, especially around the, the, where the ball is on the field, if it's around midfield, they're going to go for it on fourth down. So rather than making it a situation where you're not going to let them go for it on fourth down, you're saying, okay, I'll give you two downs if you get it close enough, while you're also giving them 10 yards. So it's nice to have a third and 18, but at least put a little more pressure. If you want to have a soft zone, okay, but maybe just be five yards off the the line of scrimmage rather than 15 yeah, because the soft zone is the is the key aspect. Zone of, of all types when you get into those soft zones late in games. What's that old the old expression again? I keep throwing a lot of them out there. Prevent does nothing but prevent you from winning. Because you're just, essentially you're saying, get these first downs. That's that Mike Smith stuff. <laughs> it's that Mike Smith stuff of, well, we'll let him drive downfield and we'll try to hold fast in the red zone. No, that's a terrible idea. And it's, you got them into a third and 18, right? Meaning, so unless it was all penalty yards, meaning you did some things right, your base defense was stopping them. Yeah, I'm not saying bring the house on a third and 18 where you got dudes running uncovered down the field. But play more of a standard D. Get some blitzes. Mix things up. Because once again, sitting everyone like we do, sitting everyone back 15 yards on the first down marker and saying don't let anything get behind you, um, you can also, once again, that the intention of that is to make them throw short mm-hmm. and you rally to stop it at that point. You know what else makes them throw short? Having to hit hot reads because there's pressure in a guy's face. Yeah. I don't know why we've just fully abandoned that line of thought. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna throw out one of the goods because it's in within this game they did this, and like there's a reason why Tampa Bay was held to zero points in the first half. It was not a fluke that they were held to zero points. You know, sometimes the Falcons get lucky where they get a fumble in the red zone. Or that someone drives down and they miss a field goal. No, the defense was playing um, was playing well, and the reason was because they were playing unpredictable and they were applying pressure. I think we got three sacks in the first half, and so those were drive killers. And a huge reason why that defense was able to hold them to zero points in the first half, which was definitely good, but. When you do these things like dropping into super soft zone on third and 18, you're taking away something that has been a strength of yours. Mm-hmm. All right. So the third thing on the big list to fuck up is on the second drive, an unblocked man stops a second and 10 run from the 45, and that drive ended in a punt. Do you know why that was on the list? I mean, if it's a list of fuck-ups, you said an unblocked man. That's a fuck-up. I assume that's the the reason it's on there. But more specifically, the second and ten run. 
So it was a second and ten run? It was a second and ten run on the 45. That's what we in the business call classic dirt cutter. You know, just <laughs> dirt being dirt. Second and ten. Let me run Let me run an ISO uh, in the zero hole. This man thinks that play is going to work. <laughs> He's probably smiling up in the booth saying, oh my goodness, the draft... The, the <laughs> oh my goodness, the... the Oh my goodness, that run is going to work on this second and ten, and it never does. No, it, it, you know what <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't do anything but laugh at it now. What I don't understand about the call in, in today's NFL is the way that these offenses run. Like, a, a second and five. Because I have to assume that's what he's hoping for. And not a second, this is a second down play. A third and five... And then say a third and ten. They're about the same. They're about the same. You'd much rather have a third and five than a third and ten. But in both of those instances, you're having to run up a pass play. If you're not in the red zone, um, the route trees are wide open in both of those circumstances. So what's the point? If you run it on first, you get stopped. It's second and ten, the example you gave. What's the point of running a play that you have screamed up that at its best, it's going to get you five yards? Mm-hmm. No. I want, hit me, mm-hmm. here's where you hit those short to intermediate passes. Because when I said that, you know, that it's largely the same being third and five and third and ten, and, you know, a little tongue in cheek, there's a difference there. But there's right. a big difference in third and two. Yes. In third and three. Yes. In plays where literally your entire playbook is open at that point right if you run that second and 10 iso up the middle and gain three yards now it's third and seven now they know you have to pass now they're going to be sitting on it 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 makes it makes no sense and it's it's a thing it's a recurring theme of this season just the play calling Mm -hmm. down and distance has just been god awful yeah and i think this is one of the biggest things that i miss from kyle shanahan is that he's not scared to go away from that cookie-cutter bullshit offensive play calling. He, he would dial up three intermediate play-action passes in a row. And then, later down the road, on a second and ten, that's when he would hit you with a run. It would be effective at that point where it was picking up at least five yards and potentially more because they were keeping the offensive they were keeping the defensive defenses off off kilter and that's not something that dirt cutter can do but he believes he can and and uh, that that's got to stop and i mean gotcha. that's that's it's a huge reason why so many drives get stopped So on this next one, it's a guy that I always protect. And that that's Matt Ryan. His accuracy and tough it, touch has been off. It it's been it's been certain passes where they don't seem to be hard passes, and I know they're probably very difficult passes, but for an NFL QB and what I've seen Matt Ryan do. Wait, 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 pause there. When you give his background of why he should be able to do these things. MVP, we got to put the emphasis there. Yeah. An MVP, you were the most valuable player in the NFL. 
you should be able to do some of these things that you're talking about here. Just had to throw that in. It's not like we're shitting on if if Josh Rosen had to come in and didn't make some throws. It's Josh Rosen. You're like, what what can you expect? You can expect a lot from a former MVP. Right. And the passes that he's making just seem like something's off. And I don't know if it's his arm strength. I don't know if it's him aging. Um, But I'm kind of more inclined to think that it's more of his lack of confidence in the play calling. Um, It's where he's trying to be a little too cute, trying to be a little too perfect. And when you do those things, no matter what sport it is, when you're trying to be too perfect in situations, you're not going to be as effective as you can when you just trust your ability and trust what you've practiced. Next on the list is was on the fourth drive. Guess what it is? Another second and ten run. Stop running it at second and ten, Dirk Cutter. And anyone considering hiring Dirk Cutter next season, note that he always runs it on second and ten. Look elsewhere. And this is what happened on third down. A pass to the fullback. That was two yards short. And credit to Keith Smith for getting the damn eight yards. But he should not be put in that situation. He shouldn't. However, it's another situation where it worked out because they went for it on fourth down. So it worked out. But how many times is that actually going to work out? A second down run and then a quick out to the fullback? Those are the last plays in, it doesn't, in every it, playbook. It doesn't scream 10 yards on its basis. <laughs> Next on the list of, uh, on the big list of fuck-ups is uh, the second and long run count. Um, at this point, it was three for two yards. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, because, well, you know, we've talked about it. It's already come up three times, and we're in the first half here, uh, just in us recapping it. That's been every game. That's been the problem yeah. with the play calling. If yeah. you know, if someone's tendency is to run it all the time on second and long, what what is your hope? That one time you'll catch them with the pass? Just once? No. <laughs> you got to have more of a plan going in than that. Yeah. And, and so you can really tee off on it. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to be three runs for two yards if teams know it's coming. Yeah. And this leads to more of what's going on is that the Falcons just don't have a run game. And if you don't have a run game, then you shouldn't be running on second and ten. And I tell, you may know this uh, from your notes, Brandon, but with that particular run call, do you know, do you recall, because it happened once during this game to add to this percentage, um, did Matt audible before that run? I'm not sure. Okay. Because I've just noticed uh, nine times out of ten when he's audibling at the line, it's a run. And if I've noticed that, surely people that are paid to notice such things are noticing mm-hmm. it. And it puts you even further behind the wrecking ball. And if Matt Ryan is doing that, doesn't that just go back to Cutter? It does, because those calls, the ones I'm referring to specifically, uh, it's not him 
switching up the play. Right. It's that they have, you know, a kill call where we're going to do this. If we don't, we're going to do this. So it's a called, it's, you have your double call. So it's an, it's not an audible as in a new play, but it's he's mm-hmm. switching to a different play. They're almost always runs. Hmm. And they're almost always ineffective. So with this, um, as we get into the second half, I'll drop another good. The second half first drive response touchdown. That was good. That was hella impressive. I didn't. When's the last time that's happened? I did years. (laughs) 2016, maybe. (laughs) Amazing. I was. I I had a lot of confidence in that game when they were able to do that because I was like, oh my goodness, okay, maybe something is changing within this team. Um, But we we clearly saw that that was not the case. And this leads to another thing. My man, Jacob Tuiti Mariner. Old Tuioti Mariner. Tuioti Mariner. He he was dropped in the covers three times. Oh, and every single time, it was a first down. Two of them were on third downs. And every single one led to touchdowns. And it's just like, I remember when one of these happened. Uh, I was with Ross. We were watching it. And I just made the comment watching it happen where they pull in the catch. They get the first. And I'm like, of course they did. Because while Jacob Tuioti Mariner is playing defensive end these days, the man's a D tackle. Mm-hmm. The man was signed and came up until this year as a D tackle. Moved him to D end. He slimmed down. It's it's been great. He's put in the work. He's put in the effort. But it's the play caller. So this is on Ulbrich. You gotta know that this defensive end. It's not, you know, the names I'll give here don't bring much confidence in Birds fans either. But it's not. Uh, Vic Beasley. Mm-hmm. It's not Dante Fowler. It's not some of these lighter speed defensive ends right. who do have, even if their coverage skills suck, which they often do, because they're a defensive lineman, they still have the speed to get out there to keep up with these people. Right. You can't make your D tackle chase any eligible receiver. And here's the key thing here I say any eligible receiver. If I recall on these Tuioti Mariner catches, these were receivers. Yes, he was trying to cut yes. right. Every Not just tight time. ends or running backs. Every single time, you have it was a, a receiver. You have a D tackle lined up on a receiver. That's a recipe for failing. And every single time, it did fail. Yeah, as and frankly, as it should, <laughs> as it should, any quarterback yeah. in the NFL should recognize that a D tackle is trying to cover one of his receivers, and any receiver in the NFL should be able to get open against a D-tackle. I can't put any of that blame on Tuioti Mariner. Stop me a run on third and one. Do that. Yeah. Don't drop eight yards and have to cover Mike Evans and shit. That just doesn't make any sense. There's cornerbacks, professional people that cover these wide receivers. It's their whole job. They can't do that. <laughs> so we're going to ask this guy whose one job is to stop the run and provide pressure on the QB to do that. You can just see the conversations. Like, well, they've, they've been picking on rookie A.J. Terrell a little bit. I know he's our best cornerback this year, but if he can't do it, maybe we have to, I don't know. Let's get Tuioti Mariner out there in coverage. <laughs> maybe he'll be able to pick up some of the slack the fuck out of here. And that's why they're not coming back. Thank God. <laughs> Next on the list is, oh, it's about coaching. 
Okay. <laughs> the wasted challenge at the end of the third quarter. There was a fumble play where the um, was it Scotty Miller? He his knee was clearly down. I think it was Scotty Miller. Knee was clearly down. I don't think that there was any review. And before the play was over, Raheem Morris already had the red hanky on the floor. Now, I don't I don't know this. I know this in baseball. In baseball, each team has a guy that's watching the game, you know, in charge of the reviews to be able to go, hey, we're gonna wanna challenge this. Does the NFL have that? They have to. <laughs> you would think. There's way too many TVs. There's way too many assistant to the assistant to the assistant line coaches. Someone's got to be aware that, oh, no, we, we shouldn't do that. We weren't going to. Yeah, someone's got to. <sighs> wasn't, wasn't it in the, the, the Mike Smith era when he had somebody run down to throw the, the flag? Or was that the Mora era? The, the challenge flag. I don't, I don't recall. But either way, it was a it was an awful challenge, and it's one of those where live I thought it was a fumble. Um, the refs didn't blow the whistle at first, so apparently they had some discretion. But um, once you saw the replay, you were like, ah, yeah, shit, his knee was down. Can you look at replays? If so, if you got a guy in the booth like they do in MLB, right. that should have been automatically Raheem. Don't do it. Don't throw that thing. Don't do it. Right, and the. At that point in the game, winning that challenge or risking the probability of winning that challenge to losing that timeout was costly. And ended up actually costing a little bit later in the game. All right, so we have two more... Goods and two more bads. So I'm going to go with one of the goods. Okay. They hit Ridley early and often. They did, yeah. He had 163 yards of career high. And um, when we were talking a couple weeks ago, you asked me, what would I like to see out of the birds for the rest of the the season? Mm -hmm. And it was Ridley showing that without Julio Jones, that he can be a consistent number one. And I think he's shown that. I would agree. I would agree. All right. These next two and the final two big lists or fuck-ups on the big list are one and the same. First was Gurley missing the block on the third down. That was huge. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was directly his fault. The next one that I had, and we talked about this in the meeting, um, was... I said Keith Smith did the same thing on the following drive, but you explained it a little bit better of why that wasn't Keith Smith's fault. Can you tell the listeners why? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, with both of those blitzes, what it was is it was a delayed Mike blitz. So you have the Mike linebacker who the running back is responsible for. um, And essentially, he's just holding back until the running back either commits to double team or goes out into a route or whatever. And then he comes in that hole, and he's unblocked. Because mm-hmm. the guy with him has left, essentially. And that's what happened with Gurley. Uh, on the Gurley one, the guy didn't come right away. Immediately, he went and hit someone and started to run his out route. 
Uh-huh. Um, the Keith Smith one was a little bit different, just in that he stayed in to the block, um, had his eyes on the guy who started to go, I believe he was going into the three gap. Keith went there. Um, he cut back to, uh, to the one gap. Keith Smith, the reason I gave him the little bit of a pass in terms of not saying he missed the block, but he wasn't out of position. He tried uh-huh. to get back, but it's a stunt, and he got hip checked essentially okay. by the D tackle. So he's he was essentially blocked from getting to mm-hmm. the man he was supposed to block. Okay. Um, like right. Gurley, misread, went on his thing, guy came clean. This one, Keith Smith, correct read, couldn't get there because he gets blocked out of the play by a D tackle. Right. And it's no fun. And both of those were on third downs. And now, you still got to do better. And, I got to throw that in there. Essentially ended the drive and ended the Falcons' chances because taking sacks in those situations is just, it's no bueno. Um, but it's time to get to our final good, which is uh, Young Way Koo is the team MVP. Young Way Koo is balling. <laughs> He's year. playing really good. The man, is, the man is the best kicker in the NFL right now. Which none of us... I was a big coup proponent coming into this season. Didn't think it was I that. Would, I wouldn't have said he's the Did best kicker in that. the NFL. <laughs> but he's but he's has been this yeah. year. And it's without a doubt. He's being recognized for it. And it's fantastic. Well done, young one. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Baird. Hi, Mr. Clayton. It's time to get into the segment that was your idea... Um, so, and you know this. This is what typically happens on a random Tuesday night. Um, I'll either text Mike or Mike will text me, or we'll give each other a call, and we'll we'll have a conversation about something. It may be something that we um, both are thinking about, or something that happened in the past game, um, or just something relevant to Atlanta sports. Um, and this one that he brought to me. I think it might have been last Thursday or something. I was like, this is too good. It has to be a segment on the slip. Um, and this is Dimitrov's draft picks as well as free agent signings. Just, just a whole look at Dimitrov's handling of the front office. So, and I think this gives a decent idea of things that he did well and things that he did poorly um, which I feel like a lot of these things could be contributed to why the Falcons m- maybe even fell short in some of the seasons where they were projected to do a lot better. Um, so I want you to start off with who are your top five draft picks in the Dimitrov era? And for the listeners that don't know, this is from 2008 through 2020. 2008 through 2020, so we got a got a good bit to work with, uh, and I'll just quickly. I'm not going to give any breakdown uh, on these people right now because we'll be doing that uh, shortly here. Um, but my top five Thomas Dimitrov draft picks: Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Grady Jarrett. Now, I don't think anyone will argue with those three. There may be some haters that will argue with a couple of them. This fourth one may be a, a little controversial, but I've got Devontae Freeman. Okay. Uh, and then five, when I was going through it, it's tough for me. It's uh, 
Ironically, both of them are on the team currently um, and play the same position. It's a linebacker. Oh. I was debating between Deion Jones and Foye Luikon. Yeah. Um, but I, I went with Deion Jones okay. for his body of work compared to Foye's year this year. If we were having this conversation next year on current trajectories, it could be different. Um, but I went with those are my uh, my top five. I did want to give uh, honorable mention, if I can give some honorable yeah, mention. Yeah. I had two people that I gave honorable mention to, uh, both cornerbacks. Um, one, Desmond Trufant. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of hate, but the fact was the man was, he was, solid. A, he was a solid starting NFL corner. And really, if you get a whole team of, of solid folks, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another one who, from our conversations, you know, I'm very high on, despite this last the last couple of weeks, really. Uh, A.J. Terrell, I think, is definitely going to end up being in some of those lists. But I, mm-hmm. I didn't put any, I didn't really consider any rookies from this year, because we just don't know what's okay. going to happen. Yeah. I, I you know, I... Four of the picks we agree on um, were right there. And I don't think the one my one change, which would be taking Devontae Freeman out, who will be in my honorable mention. Okay. Um, but I think you got to put Jake Matthews in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, a good one. That, that, the Falcons need an alignment. They went out and got alignment, and he's been solid. Now, out of your top five, which one do you think was Dimitrov's best? Dimitrov's best, I would say, is Matt Ryan, hmm. um, because I don't I, now I don't know the uh, the age range of the slippers here. I don't know how long they've been Birds fans. Don't know how long they've been keeping up with the team. They probably remember this, but let's let's go back a little bit, shall we? Um, to before two thousand eight. Let's um, go back to two thousand. I, I, I rather not. To two thousand seven, okay. just briefly. <laughs> When all that out of my our, mind. when just in a very quick synopsis, our quarterback was arrested for dogfighting and went to federal prison, and our coach quit in the middle of the season, just signing a letter to his players. Didn't even thank talk to notes. anyone. He dropped thank you <laughs> just, notes in, in their lockers. So that's the low we were coming off of. Yeah. That low yeah. quarterback in jail, coach quit on the team, no direction. And everything was about to be based around Michael Vick. He just signed that huge deal. He was going to be the cornerstone. So you have to do a whole new rewrite. And the first thing they did, really in that rewrite, not the first, but the first major thing, is you drafted Matt Ryan. And look at what he's done. Yeah. He's in all sorts of top ten lists in NFL history in terms of Yardage in terms of completions and getting mm-hmm. up there on the touchdown list. He's already quickly proved to be the best quarterback the Falcons have ever had. Yeah, It's another basic fact. The one that I throw out to all the Matt Ryan haters, because there are still a lot of them for some reason. I don't, I don't um, listen to them. But it's, it's the one thing that not even they can argue with. And it's the Michael Vick fans that will try to argue with them. It speaks so poorly to our franchise, but remember, we didn't have back-to-back winning seasons uh-huh. until Matt Ryan. That's right. The birds started in the '60s. Yeah, they made it forty-something years without having two years back-to-back with the winning record until Matt Ryan came, and he came when the franchise was at its ultimate low, and is and made it respectable. 
Yeah. Um, started getting, you know, everyone talked about his playoff performance, but once again, this is a team that never won back-to-back years. He got us to the playoffs pretty regularly. That's why they started hating on his playoff performance. We were going year in and year out. He's got the Super Bowl berth. Um, got a couple NFC championship games. Um, he's been he's been great for the franchise yeah. in the city, I think, by far. And it's one that, you know, you would say, well, that's too obvious. Of course they were going to do that. It wasn't too obvious. There was a lot of debate. I wish I remembered the guy's name. You may be able to help me out here, Big. But a big part of the fan base, and there was talk in a lot of circles, that Matt Ryan wasn't worth the number three pick, and we would draft. It was a D-tackle out of LSU. And the thought process was, go with this D-tackle out of LSU because he's going to be the best player available. Um, that He was not. I don't know how long he lasts in there. I'm going to get on the old machine here, see if I can get this name. But the point is, it wasn't like a home run, you know, where uh, we'll look at... This Glenn Dorsey. Up. Glenn Dorsey, yeah. that's a, everyone. People wanted Glenn Dorsey. There's some a lot of people. Um, but they stuck with it. They said, we need a quarterback. This dude can be the face of the franchise. Yeah. And even without a lot of those accolades that I mentioned um, that he's brought, you know, the success he's brought to the team, he became a face of the franchise to get it back on the right track. Yeah, and, and I agree with all those things um, because Matt Ryan has been a stable person in this franchise that really made it a franchise that could be exciting to look, look at for the past 12 years. There's a lot of franchises that cannot say that they, they've had that, that would be envious of that. Um, but my best draft pick for Dimitrov is actually Julio Jones and it's not because I think that he is more important to the franchise than Matt Ryan I think that would be really hard to argue um, based on just how important a QB is but the cojones to trade up and say I'm going to get that guy and trading up and getting a future Hall of Famer that's huge. Huge. That's and huge. And you know, and I won't argue with your selection. It was obviously yeah. between those two for me as well. Uh, the one reason I went Matty Ice over Julio uh, <clears throat> simply was the draft capital that we traded to get him. Uh-huh. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a hundred percent for it, and I don't understand this t- to this day. Julio's in what year twelve? <laughs> with mm-hmm. the team, something like that. To this day, there's still people like, we gave up too much for Julio. It's like, what have you been watching <laughs> for 12 years? He's he... been a top three receiver for 10 of the 12 years that he's played. He's going to go down as one of the greatest of all time. You traded up and you got one of the greatest of all time. That's what? worth it, if anything. What is more worth do it. they want? Um, what so, more yeah. do you want? So he's by far the best football player Thomas Dimitrov mm-hmm. is drafted. I agree with you there. I go Matt Ryan simply for the face of the franchise component yeah. and the fact that we didn't give up any capital. That was our normal yeah. draft slot for him. Okay. And so we didn't get Glenn Dorsey. Out of you, um, Thomas Dimitrov's draft picks, who was your favorite? Who, was who, who do you see as 
you know, maybe not the best, but the, the one pick where you're like, that's a damn good pick. You did your job as a GM with that because I think, you know, having Matt Ryan at three, that's, that's kind of simple. You need a QB. He was the best QB in the draft. It worked out well. And it was the best, you know, in, in your eyes. However, what's the one where your favorite was like, oh, you did, you did your job there? Yeah, yeah, this is this is a good switch up. There are a lot of them. There's, um, you know, that didn't make the list that I could think of. That it'd be like you did a you did a damn good job uh, with this pick. There is one on my list that I that I will say is the right answer. I don't I don't just based on how things have shaken out. I don't think it's well. No, once again, it's my favorite, so I can't say there's a right answer. But in terms of him doing his job. It's getting Grady Jarrett in the fifth round. The fifth round. Um, the fifth round, you got a Pro Bowler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still, I say the second best defensive tackle in the NFL behind Aaron Donald. Yeah. Um, for a couple years now. Um, a fantastic pick there. Um, and then going to my favorite, once again, you know, I'm an OG Birds fan. Um, you know, not as old as some of the listeners may be, but have been a diehard for a long time. All to say, I remember Jesse Tuggle. I remember Jesse Tuggle being uh-huh. the shit, being the yeah. absolute truth when we were a bad team. He was our best player. Now we get his boy mm-hmm. in the fifth round, That's and he's right. a pro bowler. <laughs> he's making all. It, it, he's got cool, three sacks in the Super Bowl. It's just yeah. everything is incredible. So I would say uh, Grady Jarrett. Uh, I'm looking through the list of the picks. There is one other name. I think you already know who I'm going to go with. I'm curious to see and, if it's who I'm going to say. And this, this my is my mention. This is my shameless plug, where I predicted the first three Falcons draft picks in the 2016 draft, and that was getting Deion Jones in the second round. Yeah. Um, and you know, one thing was the Falcons needed a safety in the first round. They got Keanu Neal. And in the second round, they needed a linebacker. And they said, I think Deion Jones is going to be good enough. We are not reaching. Everybody said that the Falcons and and Dimitrov were reaching on those two picks. But that same year, they went to to the Super Bowl. And a big reason why they went to the Super Bowl was not just the great offense that they had, the historical offense that they had. But it was because Deion Jones and Keanu Neal were balling out as rookies and plugged those in. And getting Deion Jones at that place in the second round when everybody else was like, no, that's not a good pick. Excellent job by Dimitrov in doing your job and not being scared to get the position that you need and and trusting your scouts to go get that. So who did you have in mind? So my honorable mention uh, is not someone who made uh, either of our lists, but just in t- someone when you say who you liked, just someone where I'm like, you know, because when you get to those late round picks, a lot of people are like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It does. <laughs> if you can identify dudes, because when you, you've got these scouts who are out there, like there's no one, you're not sending your scout um, who played tonight? Georgia Southern and Louisiana Tech. I bet there were some pro scouts out there mm-hmm. for a lot of teams. Uh, and Nam, one of them, was saying, we're going to find our first rounder right. in this Georgia Southern Louisiana Tech game. But you might find that dude that can come in and play special teams right away. 
You might find that guy that you hope you can develop into your third cornerback. Mm-hmm. You might find that slot receiver. Um, you know, just sort of these positions of where it's important. So I'm picking a man. I'm looking at his stats right now. I think I know who it is now. I believe you know who it is. A seventh round draft pick. <laughs> yeah. Seventh round draft pick who stuck with our birds for seven years. Played in 95 games. Only 23 starts because, you know, seventh rounder. You're looking for a backup. But in those 95 games, had 290 tackles. Um, you know, almost pick-sixed it. But had, you know, uh, three forced fumbles I'm seeing here. Five interceptions over the career. Making some big One plays. touchdown, too. Touchdown there. Um Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He did have, I was the thinking of six. the pick six he almost got, but then there was another one he did. Kamal Ishmael. Yeah. Is a dude. And that's you know, largely when you, I feel like this, we're talking about the legacy of Thomas Dimitrov in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like anytime there are those conversations about any GM of any team, very often, and, you know, you can see the reasons why. It's, well, how did he do with his first two rounds? Yeah. And his drafts. Who were these, you know, who were the first round picks? How did they do? No, this is someone over the entire team. You've got to look at the entire draft. You got to look at free agents, which we'll be doing in a little bit. You got to look at undrafted free agents. Who I, I will point out, I didn't count in my list. I count mm-hmm. them sort of as draft day things. They're that different. different right. But, right. but you got to look at them. Definitely different. But it's taking everything into account. Seventh round picks matter. Those last picks matter to try to get your guys, your diamonds in the rough. And that's a dude who just, you know, he, he bled the Atlanta Falcons red for all them years. It was yeah. always someone you could, whenever anyone was down, and you went, who's in? Oh, Ishmael. Okay. We're yeah. not going to lose a step. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my honorable mention. Definitely agree with that. And you know I'm a huge Ishmael fan. All right, now it's time to get into the worst draft picks of Thomas Dimitrov. And he's had a good handful. There have been some bad ones. Um, and I do have a couple throwbacks. I, I kind of cheated on one of them. I combined a couple. Um, but they were essentially one of the same people to me. Okay. Um, but here's my list of the worst draft picks. And although one of these players was a really good player and he's my... He's number five on my list. You got a really good player. I, I got a, I got a, a decent player. Okay. A guy that produced for the Birds, um, but I still think it was he could go down as a not very good pick um, by disappointment. But got to be Peter Kahn's on that list. Um, I also have Rasheed Hageman on that list. I have Tack McKinley on that list. And mainly because just how he went out recently, that 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 was not good. Um, and then my combo um, throwbacks from the past: Christopher Owens and Dominique Franks. And then last, uh, I gotta go with Beasley. I got I gotta go with Vic Beasley as okay. a one of his worst draft picks because of the potential that we saw, the stuff that he did not live up to. And what we needed, he did not give. And him being the number eight in the draft at that point, it it just didn't work out. You know, even if he did lead the league in sacks one year, it, it just I don't I I can't characterize 
that player as a success throughout his career as a Falcon. Who, who's on your list? Yeah, we have some differences. Um, there's some definite similarities. Um, but I think both, both for my list, Vic and Tack both did enough that I'd say they weren't good, but I'm not putting them in, in uh-huh. you know, the bottom things. You can see what was happening. Um, now, there were some names that you said that are definitely making my list. Number one on everyone's list of Dimitrov flops has to be Peter Kahn's. Peter Kahn's. It has to be Peter Kahn's. And, and the reason um, why Peter Kahn's is definitely on that list is because this is the 2012 draft where we didn't have a first-round pick because we traded that first-round pick to go get up Julio Jones. And I do... I. I like that. However, you gotta hit that second round pick. It makes it that much more important that you gotta hit that pick. And this is when uh, this that Peter Kahn's pick kind of started that turmoil where that guard situation for the Falcons was not good. Well, and, and the funny thing there is you mentioned the guard situation not being good. He was definitely a consideration in that. Um... He wasn't drafted as a guard. If you recall, uh, he, was, he was a center. Was a center. And that's where he got his start and was so bad. They went, he can't play center. <laughs> he said, let's see if he can play guard maybe and doesn't have to make the calls. Or... That didn't work either. So, yeah. And you mentioned, you know, no first round pick. You got to hit on that second. Really, you got to hit on that third. It was my second in the bottom five. Do you remember who we took immediately after Peter Collins? Um, my boy Lamar Holmes. Fucking Lamar Holmes. <laughs> Lamar Holmes. Lamar I, Holmes yes. I distinctly remember watching the draft day coverage. And, you know, they run clowns up there. They do their research. Like, Mel Kuyper, I'm not going to say you don't know what you're talking about, but he's one of the... They get guys up there that if you don't do exactly what they predicted, they get sort of angry, you can tell, and they're going to lambast your picks. Um... You know, example this year of how, oh, A.J. Terrell's terrible. They should have taken C.D. Lamb. Yeah, we should have taken a third wide receiver over someone who ended up being our starting cornerback and may mm-hmm. win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Okay, Mel Kuyper. But at the same time, he does his research, you know? Mm-hmm. These are cats that know these players. I just, I just remember when they announced the Lamar Holmes pick, there was no breakdown because there was just silence. So it's just everyone like Lamar who? For the tackle from from Southern Miss? That's Okay, so the birds went with Lamar Holmes. I was like, well this is ominous. And all I remember about Lamar Holmes was that he couldn't get in shape. It was that he was out of shape from the get go. Uh he was terrible. He was bad. So the first, so in a draft where we didn't have, let me, I'm just going to run through that 2012 draft real quick, because it could just be Thomas Dimitrov's list there. But you went Peter Kahn's, Lamar Holmes, Brady Ewing, never played it down. <laughs> never. Jonathan Massaqua, he was okay. Charles Mitchell, I barely remember who you are. And in the seventh round, here's... XFL standout Jonathan Massaquois. XFL standout Jonathan Massaquois. <laughs> and the only person that had more of an impact than our seventh round pick, Travian Robertson, at least he got some decent third string D tackle reps for a couple of years. There's an awful, 
awful draft class. So I have Peter Collins and Lamar Holmes there. <clears throat> Number three, Parade Jerry. Ah, uh, <clears throat> yeah. I, I can see where you come from, Parade Jerry, but remember, he came in the league and tore his ACL. Tore his whole knee up. He did. He came in, uh, tore up his knee, but, uh, and usually I, I forgive that. Um, you know, I, I'll forgive GMs if you take a dude that, you know, got injured and had to wash out, but would a Prey Jay get drafted eighth overall, if I recall? It was high. Did he have a tackle for the birds? He, he, I know he did one thing once. <clears throat> He might have done one thing once, but that was it. That was the max that he did. He didn't do anything from a top 10 pick. Like, you put Vic Beasley on your list despite the fact that he led the NFL in sacks one year because of his other cumulative years. We don't even get cumulative years for Prey Jerry because then he quit. Mm-hmm. That we all got to watch because it was on Hard Knocks that uh, <laughs> when they were doing the birds for that particular year. Um I hope his uh, his plan of just gonna go home and work and be with my family and work. I hope that paid off because he didn't work for the Falcons. Yeah, and the thing is, you can tell that when he did come back from his knee injury, he just never seemed to be really into it. Um, and that, I think that's the thing that um, hurt the most about that um, was because they just he just didn't do much. He d- and these are players that that could have been picked in the first round. Or Napoleon no, Jerry was actually the 24th pick. But after the 24th pick, you could have gotten Vontae Davis, a cornerback. He's the 24th? He, yep. Okay, I, was, um, I apologize for putting him as a top 10. You could have gotten Clay Matthews at the 26th. And... Both of those would have been better. Yeah, no, so, I'm like, sure I'm sure there are a hundred people that went after him in that draft that would have been better. Yeah. The vast majority of who got drafted that NFL year could have <laughs> at least contributed on you could have drafted me a damn punter that year and it would have been more productive than yeah. Parade Jerry. Awful. So I had to put him on my list. Uh, Rashid Hakeman, I also uh-huh. have. You listed him as well. And my number five uh, on my worst is it's more of a sort of how you did the combo with Franks and Owens <laughs> to sort of get a point across. Mine is trying to get a point across. And I should add this. Um, when I went through my list, I only counted the first three rounds of the draft. Because I feel like if you are a fourth rounder later and you don't pan out, you people take shots fourth round and later. Mm-hmm. Your first three rounds are supposed to be your contributors for that upcoming season. And, you know, you get some development projects and guys, you know, toolsy guys that you hope to develop after that. So I only did the first three rounds, which is why my number five is a third round pick, Mike Johnson. Oh, yeah. Do you remember Mike Johnson? He was supposed to be a tackle um, that was supposed to come in after Claybo, if if um, if I'm not mistaken. And that did not work out at all. You may or may not be mistaken because... I don't really know shit about Mike Johnson. I remember him getting drafted, and then that was the last we ever heard of him. Very similar to uh, our current bird, uh, Sean Harlow. It was just, but Harlow at least went later in the draft, I think, if I recall. Yeah, I think he was a fifth rounder. You can't take a third rounder on an O lineman 
on a team that notoriously in your whole GM tenure needed offensive linemen, and he can't get a, a start? Who's Mike Johnson? Yeah. Who is Mike Johnson? I'll tell you, one of the top five worst draft picks is he didn't do shit for our birds. <laughs> oh, my. After him, and I'm just looking at that draft, after him in the fourth round went Joe Holly. Joe Holly was all right. Joe Holly was good. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so he wasn't even the best O-lineman in his draft class. It's a damn shame. Yeah, now, Dimitrov never really drafted offensive line very well. Terrible. Lineman, um, period. Offensive and defensive side of the ball. Yeah, well, that's true. The trenches did not treat him well. But let's get into these free agent signings. The best free agent signings. I think there are three free agent signings that are absolutely on the top list. And what do you think those are? Who I think is on your top list? Yes. The top three free agent signings from Dimitrov. If it's if it's a similar list to me, if we're looking at it, well, the, number one, and you got to tell them, Brandon, the listeners can't see the hand motion. What am I doing with my hands here? It's a money. Money sign. Money Matt Bryant. Mm-hmm. Number one. Yeah. C- carried us for, yes. for a few years. He was the most consistent kicker. Since his from the time he got start um, signed until he got released and got brought back, and I think that that's more on the um, free eight or the front office not managing him well. But he was consistent. He's the reason why we got that playoff win in 2012. Money, Money. and if and you know, and Youngway is on that track. If he can continue mm-hmm. that way, it's going to be promising. But uh, Money Matt Bryant, I would say, is one, uh, two. Which is surprisingly a close race because Matt Bryant with the Birds would be a top free agent signing of a lot of teams. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but I'm going back to the basics. When I talked about the state that our team was in coming mm-hmm. into that yep. 2008 season, yep. Michael the Burner Turner. Michael the Burner Turner. One of, went from the years of 2008 to 2012 when he was still effective was a top five, if not a top three running back throughout that time. And because and, and, we went back to just talking about the situation that your rookie quarterback came into. Yeah. And these days, you know, modern NFL fans may not remember, you didn't start rookie quarterbacks. It just wasn't a thing that was done. Even Michael Vick, when he came, had to sit behind Chris Chandler. Mm-hmm. Because that's just what you did. You let him learn. Now, I think there needs to be more of that. I don't think it has to be one way or the other. It seems to work. Patrick Mahomes sat a year. Yeah. Lamar Jackson sat a year. They both have MVPs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's some there's some truth to that. But we couldn't when we drafted Matt Ryan. It was essentially, yeah. hey, the guy that would have mentored you is in jail. Um you can have Chris Redman as your backup. He can teach you something. You can't start Chris Redman over your number three draft pick. You so you have to play Matt Ryan. But at the same time, you can't have a pass-happy offense right. with the rookie quarterback. You need it to be a ground-based game. So they brought in Michael Turner, said we're going to be a run-based team. Um, and just I'm looking at the, his stats right now, B, for that 2008 season. 376 carries, Goodness. 
for 1,700 yards and 17 touchdowns. That's ridiculous. That was an insane year. An insane year. He got hurt that next year, so he only played 11 games, uh, but had 178 for 871, but still 10 touchdowns. And then coming back off of injury, 334 carries for 1371, 12 touchdowns. The next year, 301, 1340, 11 touchdowns. And then you're like in 2012 when he was still just sort of kind of effective. Still ran the ball 222 times for 800 yards and 10 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Michael Turner, was, and surprise, one thing that baffles me a little bit, I guess people with the fear of the running back cliff, which is proven to be a thing, he didn't even play a down in the NFL after he left us. Right. Which is, you know, with those stats I just read off, is a little bit odd. But, um, yeah, he came in one of the top five Falcon running back of all time. Yeah. Um, and really, it was him that allowed us to hand those reins to Matt Ryan. Yeah, uh, that the way that the offense was, was set up and why I can't ever be mad at uh, Mike Malarkey too much was that they had an effective offense for when the Falcons really needed it. When they had a rookie QB and they needed to run the ball and they were a dominant running team. And that's what they were built off of. So it, it was just phenomenal that they were able to do that. Um, and so, yes, I, I completely so, agree with you. Yeah. So I think those two are heads and shoulders, the one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my three, you asked for the top three, right? Uh, I'm going with the current bird, Alex Mack. Yep, and those were um, the three that I was thinking of <laughs> where it's just like that. those are easily the top three free agent signings. Yeah, they are because with the center position, it doesn't get talked about I feel like as much as it should, but I distinctly remember. So we had Mud Duck. Remember Travis McClure? Mm-hmm. So we had Travis McClure holding down center for a while into the Dimitrov years, is why I can mention him. He was still there when Maddie was there. Right. Um, and you had that base, and it's so important to be able, because it's not just the blocking. Now, one, the blocking schemes for a center are extremely complicated because it's very rare that there's a guy lined up directly on you. You know, so it's a lot of if your guy is sort of off to the left and you got a hook, I'll avoid all the intricacies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just such an important position. But it gets, I, for some reason, its value is not up there with it's definitely underappreciated with your tackles and the teams. Yeah. Well, we need a dominant guard for running. Now, you got to get a center, mm-hmm. well, you got to get a left tackle first. That's number one on your team in terms of your own line. But then you got to get a center. And I think they learned it. I distinctly remember it was the year before we got him, back in when we had like Mike Person and them mm-hmm. playing center. And once again, uh, Mike Person, I think, is a great example of, uh, of what I'm talking about, of the, the difficulties to be a successful center. Um, if he's not now, he was still starting in the league and above average as a guard. Right. Because <laughs> so he, could, he couldn't play center, but he could play guard. And we tried to get him playing center, he couldn't do it. I just, I, I just have this vivid memory, and as a former center, it bothered me. I remember calling people and pointing it out, and it was, it was a series of games. But I remember when it first started, where Matt would come up to the line. I think James Stone was playing center at this time. Well, uh, Matt my, would, would Mike come up. Person had the most fumbles. James Stone held it down a little bit, but had his problems. But yeah, but it, it's this. It's with forget who was playing during the stretch. I think it was James Stone. But Matt would come up, 
and you'd hear him go, and you it, it sounds like an audible, but it's not. He was going, uh, you know, key 54, uh, 42's the mic, um, such essentially he was he had to make the o-line calls Mm -hmm. because the centers couldn't do it right so on top of what you already have to do now he had to direct the offensive line as well um and then you know what they did after watching how we played like that forked up some money for alex mack and it's been phenomenal that's right and it's been phenomenal nevermore you you, people listening you hear matt ryan going up calling who the mic is anymore and who the key is anymore no, it's all handled internally by the offensive line because that's a big part of playing the center. Right. Playing that position. And right. so I think those are my top three. Yeah. And so to round out my other two would be Don Terry Poe, which right. even though it's it's an it's odd an one, one to have on this one because it was only a one-year one, but he really did a good job in holding down that line so that it would help out Babineau and then also be of assistance to Grady in his first year um, so that it was effective. Um, and then this, this is my last one, might be cheating a little bit, but it was Brian Poole, an undrafted free agent um, who in that 2016 draft class, which I still think is the best draft class of the Falcons, um, in some capacities of in terms of how many players they got. If you're looking at just the volume of players, that definitely is the best in terms of volume. Um, that they also picked up Brian Poole, who started for three years at the slot for them. Mm-hmm. And was excellent at the slot. And you men- it's funny, you mentioned that, uh, I just want to add for some of the listeners that may not know that 2016 draft. You mentioned Keanu Neal, still starts for us. Deion Jones still starts for us. Austin Hooper, we couldn't afford, starts for Cleveland. Devondre Campbell, couldn't afford, starts for Arizona. Wes Schweitzer, much maligned in Atlanta, starts for Washington. Mm-hmm. And Devin Fuller, I doubt he's still in the NFL. Yeah, he, got, but, he got injured a lot. Yeah, but, but still. Grady was in that? Grady was not. Grady was before that. Grady was before that? Yeah, that was the entirety of that draft class. Huh. But Brian Poole, you mentioned, is an undrafted free agent. Started for the Jets at least some of this year. I think he started most of this year. That was a damn good draft class. Yeah. Yeah, Grady was the year before, 2015, with uh, Vic Beasley and them. So who are the lat- Who are your two final free agent, best free agent picks? Man, it was hard. So... For one, just doing the research, get going behind the the screen a little bit here. It's hard, it was hard to just find that comprehensive list of all the free agents. So I was going year by year, and there were a lot of people. There were some fine players, um, folks like you mentioned, Don Terry Poe. He played one year. I can't count him on my list, mm-hmm. and I don't count one year Reynolds. There's a lot of those. Um, I I really did struggle to come up with. Um, other other free agents that really made an impact. So the last two that I had, one is from a position that's not of the greatest importance, but I thought he was the best at that position in the NFL, which was Patrick DeMarco hmm. uh, when he was our fullback. Yes. Um, that was, was a good pickup. The, he was the best fullback in the NFL. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of more important positions in today's NFL, but I went with him for that reason. Uh, and then my fifth one, 
Is this a shout out uh, to Mr. Baird here, one of his favorites, who I'm sure has been on the slip uh, plenty. I gave it old Bleedy Ray Wilson. Uh, my man Bleedy Ray. Old Bleedy Ray. Uh, just because, you know, once again, a free agent that's year after year, you could tell they've wanted to upgrade mm-hmm. and haven't been able to find an upgrade. This is, yeah. what, year four that he's been on the team? He's put in his service time, whether it be year three or four. Multiple years, multiple starts when needed, always a reliable presence. And there's more people of his category, but, you know, I figured I'd, I'd throw him the bone there. To round out my top five. All right, good. Now let's get into the worst free agent. Okay, you want to start us off? I got Ray Edwards on there. Ray. That was absolutely terrible. Ray Edwards he was supposed has to, to be, be coming one. in to help Abraham, and he did nothing. He was good at stopping a run, but other than that, no. And he was gone after two years. Just absolute trash. And further shows. How he, we talked about in the draft, how Dimitrov can't draft linemen on either side of the ball. Couldn't sign him either. Couldn't, Couldn't either. find linemen. Ray Edwards, we gave all that money coming off a decent year. You know, you're like, yeah, this will be. He was just, he was awful. Was there was no good. pressure. I'm looking at his stats from his first year right now. Three and a half sacks. Which is bad and it's outright, but it's this next one that just shows how ineffective he was to me. Ten quarterback hits in yeah. an entire season. That's yeah, not good. Meaning enough. he got to the quarterback even with the ball out of his hand only ten times in a season. Less than once a game, this man could get into the backfield towards a quarterback passing the ball. He was Definitely. atrocious. Yeah, and adding on to that list of people that could not get to the QB. Tyson Jackson. Tyson, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe this isn't Tyson Jackson's fault because he was a D-tackle and we needed a D-in, but he was not good at the beginning of his time. Towards the end of his time in the Falcons, he was serviceable, but bad signing overall when it was a need that the Falcons had and he did not fulfill that. Zero sacks for, uh, for Tyson Jackson in his time as an Atlanta Falcon. And then going to the other side of the trenches... I got to start with someone that you actually mentioned in, in, in the other free agent part. Mike Person. We signed him, played him at center, and he just fumbled the whole time. The center fumbled the whole damn time. He couldn't snap. Which leads to another person who was a guard, John Asamoah. Yeah. Who played, so, who started one season, and in the next season he was cut. And the thing with Asamoa is it was a it was a switching of schemes. It's mm-hmm. why I didn't include him on the list. He could be. I see the reasons why. But you brought him in. You know, he was what? He's like a three hundred and forty pound monster yeah. at guard when they got him for that first season. Then year two, you switch offenses. You go to zone blocking scheme. His ass ain't getting out there. Yeah, on a, on a zone blocking scheme, but because they moved to that, I gave I gave a little bit of a pass as they switched systems. I don't mm-hmm. know what would have been. Um, there's someone whose name I'm blanking on that I'm adding to the list immediately. Now um, it just came to me. You know, who I have to throw out there hmm. Jamon Brown. Ah, uh, yes. While we're talking about that bad. side, and and the reason why these are so bad is because they they affected the cap so much too. It's like. 
it's not that just they didn't perform or it was a scheme change, but the cap hit hurt us so much. And it, it's something that Dimitrov continued to have over and over again where it was just bad, bad contracts that continued to hurt the Falcons down the line. Um, and I have one more person on this, and I think it's Todd Gurley. I I just I don't think paying him five million in a time when you don't have any money is worth it. You had people, and it's showing you right now by starting Edo Smith that maybe you had people that you didn't have to pay him five million. That five million could have been allocated some other way. Yeah, and I, I can see where some people would argue I wouldn't put him on the list for this factor. The same reason I wouldn't give Don Terry Poe on the positive because uh-huh. he played one year. They gave Gurley a one-year contract right. at five mil for the former best running back in football. Mm-hmm. I thought it was worth a shot. Now, if you want to put a running back on there, Steven Jackson. Oh, yeah. Because Steven Jackson came in on a three-year deal well past his prime. Yep. Todd Gurley should still be in his prime. It's injuries. Mm-hmm. It's his knees can't live up. Steven Jackson was done. Steve, and they Steven signed Jackson him. Was definitely a bad sign. And it continued. And he was taking reps away from Devontae Freeman, uh-huh. from Jaquiz Rogers. Um, other, there were some other cats in there that I'm, I'm trying to think of who. Either way. More successful running backs, younger guys, but instead we three years for yeah. Steven Jackson. What were you thinking? And then the last one. Here's a name. I just want to get your opinion on a bit. In all the research of the worst picks, it was one that came up, and I see where they're getting at this. Um, Dante Robinson. Remember Dante yes, Robinson? I what remember are your Dante, on Dante Robinson. I remember Dante Robinson, and yeah, he was. Bad at the beginning and mediocre late. Um, I looked at him and I think there was a point where he would have been our third cornerback and then that would have been great. But even when Brent Grimes went down with his injury, um, Dante Robinson was still serviceable. He was serviceable. So. And, and that, the whole argument that I was seeing in the research was about this, and this is why I wanted to bring him up when we just talk about free agent signings, uh, and you brought up this point. It's not all about, when you're looking at free agents, it's not all about your on-field performance. Mm-hmm. What did we pay you, to, and what did we get out of it? Right. He played decently, I thought. I always remember Dante around. I mostly remember him you know, taking people's heads off and getting lots of personal fouls for it. Mm-hmm. But... um. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, he played an okay corner. You mentioned he's coming in at the slot corner. He got a six-year, $57 million deal. Mm-hmm. That's not what you pay your slot corner. That's not what you pay your third or fourth, maybe even fifth best defensive back. Right. He just he came nowhere near living up to the money right. that was given to him. Yeah. And, you know, overall, I think this shows that although Dimitrov, I think overall Dimitrov was a good GM, but I think a lot of these misses that he had definitely contributes to why he is no longer the GM. But my man, this has been great. Um, Lots of fun. Um, You know, we're going to have to do this more often. Um, Once again, 
This is Atlanta Sports Extraordinaire Mike Clayton. Thank you for being on the show with hey, me. Hey, thank you for having me. All right, y'all. This has been the slip, the Atlanta Sports Podcast for the true ATLians. You know you can follow me at Marion underscore slip. And I'm gonna talk to y'all next week. I'll see y'all later, slippers. Peace.